Hello, it's from John 20, um, verses 1 to 18, and then the two chapters, or the last two verses of the chapter. Um, just while you're turning that, let me just say, we say this every week, this is the word of God. Um, even the, the last two readings that were done um, are true. They were inspired by Lord. Um, so I feel honored to be reading this to you guys this morning, um, because they're the most important words ever recorded. Um, so... Um, Let's hear the good news from John chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. And he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And as she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, and to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which were not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, thank you for bringing us here this morning um, to celebrate your truth and your glory um, in Jesus' resurrection. I pray just as Andrew comes up that you would um, lead him and lead us to love you more, um, to try to understand um, your love for us. Um, Yeah, and just just be with us in spirit today. Um, And thank you for everybody here. Amen. Thanks, Jess. Uh, I love that passage, uh, obviously because of the resurrection, but it's also kind of funny because John, who's writing this, um, all the way through that gospel, he never refers to himself as John. Uh, it's almost like he, he, he wants to be a bit humble. But then he just totally rats Peter out, and he's like, I'm faster than you. I don't know. He gets the, he's like, I got the, he left before me, but I got there first because um, he was old and John was young or whatever. Um, I saw a really funny video this week. 
Um, it's a few years old, but I saw it for the first time this week. And it's of the actor Jimmy Fox. You know Jimmy Fox, the actor? Um, and he's being interviewed, I think, by another actor. And they're doing that thing where they look at the most Google questions about themselves. And one of the questions is, is Jimmy Fox a vegan? And he just replies with, I'm not a vegan, I'm a Baptist, <laughs> which I think is very funny. But then he goes on to say, to me, Jesus is the foundation. I don't know what vegans believe about where they go, heaven or hell, but I know where I'm going. And he's clearly poking fun at the, uh, the question, and, but he, and he compares it with his own faith. And it's funny, um, but it also highlights the fact that most people do have beliefs that are, are, are central and core to who they are and how they operate and how they live. And so I wonder if you just took a second right now and, 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 and think about what your core beliefs are, how would you answer that? might be something to do with family or loyalty. It would probably, if you're a Christian, hopefully be something to do with your Christian faith. But if you take it one step further and, and you say, and someone asks you, what is the, what is the, the I know you're a Christian, but, but what is it you actually believe? What is the core to your faith? Well, you might say that Jesus died on the cross, or you might say, well, the value of serving the poor, or loving your neighbor, or, or the truth of the Bible. And those are all really good things, and, and they are true. But when it comes to the it comes down to it that the claim, the central claim of the Christian faith is that Jesus Christ was really dead and then he was really alive again. That's, that's it. If you are a Christian, you believe literally, and everyone overused the word literally, and I hate that, but I, I mean this literally, that a man was really dead and that he really came back to life. That's what we believe. When people ask me, and this happened the other night actually, uh, people are asking me about various aspects about Christian life or what you believe about this thing. How, how do you believe about that or what do you, you know, this thing or that thing? I just like to remind them, like, hang on for a second. It's good and fine that you have all these questions about, I don't know, sexuality or gender or money or whatever it may be, but can I just remind you that I actually believe that a man was in a tomb for three days and then on the third day, came back to life again. Like, can we just start with that? Like, why are you worried about all this other smaller stuff? Because if you don't see that and have an issue with that, then there's no point talking about the other, the other stuff. Please take issue with the fact that I believe that the Almighty God who created everything that we can see around us, that God became a human being. He was killed, was put in a tomb, and then three days later came back to life again. Can we talk about that, please? Because without the resurrection of Jesus, none of the rest of the stuff is worth talking about, is it? If the resurrection of Jesus never happened, then none of it matters because it's all dead and buried with him. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And if Jesus had stayed dead, then the way, the truth, and the life is buried with him. Like, what does it matter? And so without the resurrection of Jesus, there is no Christian faith. If Jesus had stayed in the tomb, then everything he said and did and taught would have been finished. So here's the claim that I'm putting to us this morning. The claim is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is historical fact. That's the claim. The resurrection of Jesus is, is an historical fact. And the question then is, what will we do with this claim? What will we do with this? Because that's the claim. And it is by far, the, 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 the Christianity, based on this fact, is by far the biggest faith system in the world. 
How did this go from a small group of people in Jerusalem to, to, to the biggest religion in the world? Because that's a pretty outrageous thing to believe, isn't it? Through this passage from John's Gospel, we read of John recording these events. We're going to examine this claim, and we're going to examine what it means for us. And we're going to see, we're going to, we're going to get a word of truth that Jesus has risen. We're going to get a word of hope that Jesus is present, and a word of instruction that Jesus is sending. So let's start with this first one: a word of truth. Jesus is risen. John lays out his stall here. He puts all his cards on the table and he tells us exactly why he is writing these things down. Look at verse 31 again that Jess read for us. He says, But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Right? He, he wants us to believe that Jesus actually is who he says he is, that he actually is the Son of God. And then there's an extra bit that by believing that, that we will have life. And we'll come back to that later on. He wants us to believe. See, John, in, in his, this account of Peter and himself <laughs> racing to the tomb, and then Mary meeting Jesus in the garden, this is him telling us about the reality. It, it's not a fairy tale. He, he wants us to see that this isn't an illusion, nor is it just like Lord of the Rings or something. It, it's not about comforting the, the, the disciples in their grief and, and despair or disappointment after what had happened on Good Friday. He actually wants us to see that the tomb was empty. Peter and John run to the tomb, right? And, and we already saw that Peter leaves first, and then John overtakes him. Maybe he shouts something on the way, I don't know. I would if it was me. And uh, then he, he, John stops and looks in, he sees him. Peter being Peter runs right in, and the, the tomb was empty. The stone was rolled away. The grave clothes were, were, were still lying there. Now, that's weird for a start, isn't it? Like, if someone had come to steal a body, like, why would you unwrap it first? That's a bit, that'd be weird, wouldn't it? Likewise for Mary. The Jesus she meets isn't a ghost. He, he's a genuine man, transformed, no doubt, but a genuine flesh and blood man. A man who speaks to her, a man who listens to her, a man who can be hugged. See, John isn't just telling a story, he is giving evidence. And he's given evidence to this claim that the resurrection of Jesus is an historic fact. See, the empty tomb and the eyewitnesses, both these things are the basis of the trueness of this claim. And these two things always go together. Because if you only taught that the tomb was empty, right? If John had only written his part and not Mary's part, well, he it would be easy to argue, well, obviously somebody took the body. In fact, this is what Mary, to begin with, thinks, isn't it? She sees the empty tomb and she assumes that somebody has done the worst and taken the body of Jesus away. And so alongside the empty tomb are the eyewitness accounts. And likewise, if you only have the eyewitness accounts, then you could argue that it was some subjective opinion or a metaphor. There's this new movement. It's not new, but it's kind of regaining ground again now in theological circles that the resurrection of Jesus is a metaphor and it doesn't really matter that he raised bodily. And I'm like, well, good luck. See how that works out for you when Jesus comes back. But anyway, um, if it was a metaphor or it was subjective opinion, if you only had those eyewitness accounts, you could just say, well, they were lying. And of course, throughout the years, these have been the objections to the reality that Jesus really was raised from the dead. These are two of the biggest uh, things. People say, uh, yeah, of course the tomb is empty, but sure, anybody could have snuck in and stole that body. 
And the eyewitnesses who say they've seen Jesus, well, it's all conspiracy. They're just lying. But if these eyewitnesses were actually not telling the truth, there's only two options. Option one is that they themselves were deceived. Okay? So if they're not telling the truth, they were deceived. So the argument goes like this. Mary is emotional. She's just lost the man who transformed her life. A man who she loved dearly. It's dark. It's a spooky graveyard. She's distraught. She's clearly hallucinating. But look at this. This is crazy. Mary, Mary sees angels and it doesn't faze her, right? I think if I, if I went into a tomb, if I, if I saw two angels sitting in a tomb and they were talking to me, I'd probably do more than just answer them normally. This doesn't sound like an hallucination to me. And also, when she does meet Jesus, she runs to him and throws herself on him and embraces him. Some people think that she clung to his feet. I don't think that. I think she ran and just gave him a hug. But you don't embrace an hallucination or a vision. And also, it's not just Mary either. There's Mary. There's the other Mary. There's all the other women disciples who come first to address his body. Then there's the 11 apostles. Thomas actually touches Jesus. Then there are the two disciples walking down the road to Emmaus. So you actually end up having a meal with Jesus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that there were over 500 people who saw the resurrected Jesus. And not all of them were people who loved him. And he, he, goes, he says, go and speak to them. Ask them what they see, what they saw. How could over 500 people have had the same vision or hallucination? How could over 500 people have been deceived in the same way? Then the other claim is that, okay, well, if they weren't deceived, they were the deceivers. Now, it's important to remember that in ancient times, eyewitness accounts were, were very important to keep in historical records. The, the assumption was that when you read the facts, you could actually go down the road and, and, and see that person and say, is this true? And they would say, yes, I saw it with my own eyes. This was how history was kept in those days. But let's look at the claims. The claim is that Jesus... Resurrection is a historical fact. And without that, our whole faith falls apart. Now, if it's a lie, then why would all the gospel writers and Paul himself, why would they leave themselves open to people going and speaking to these eyewitnesses? It wouldn't make any sense. Why would you want to take the chance of your deception being exposed? Also, all the appearances of Jesus, these all happened within this short time period of 40 days after his resurrection, a very short time period. So if you're making this up, why would you not just say that Jesus stuck around for years and years? Why would you not do that? Why would you be so specific about a short time period? Then, and we cannot overlook this, there's the use of women as witnesses. In this culture, women couldn't even be used in courts of law as witnesses. They were thought to be unreliable. They wouldn't be recorded in historical records like this. And yet every single one of the gospel accounts records that it was women who experienced the resurrection first. The women were the first evangelists. They were the ones to carry the message of Jesus' resurrection. And so think about it. If you're trying to start a movement based on a lie, then 
in a time when witnesses of women were not accepted, were actually disregarded, then why on earth would you include that they were the ones who saw him first? Either these guys are idiots and don't know how to start a fake movement, or it's actually true. Then there's the fact that I love this one. Nobody was expecting it, right? All the way through his life and his ministry, Jesus has been saying, hey, on the third day, I'm going to rise again. On the third day, I'm going to rise again. Didn't we read that in Luke 24 at the start of our gathering this morning? Uh, Remember the words that I spoke to you. So tell me this. Why wouldn't they have gone to check? (laughs) You know what I mean? Why didn't nobody say, lads, it's Sunday morning. Should we just... Shouldn't we at least go and check, you know, just in case? Like, why did no one say that? If they were making this up, why would they have painted themselves in such a bad light? Why wouldn't they try to make it look more plausible and say, oh, yes, and here are all the prophecies and times Jesus said he was raised from the dead. Here's all the stuff from the Old Testament and Jesus himself. And, and so, of course, we went to the tomb at dawn on the first day, and there he was, the stone, the, the stone rolled away, and Jesus came out, and we welcomed him. They didn't do that. They, they, that would have been far more credible. John even says... After he's been in the actual tomb, John says in verse 9, as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. John, you've been in the tomb. (laughs) Finally, as we examine the evidence uh, of this claim, of this word of truth, we need to consider the fact that the vast vast majority of these witnesses to Jesus' resurrection were put to death for it. And not one of them. There is zero record of any eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection, of meeting Jesus after he was raised from the dead. There's zero record of even one of them denying it. No, not one of them gave up on the message. If this is a lie, and you know it's a lie, and you're facing being burned alive. They have you tied to a stick and then someone's coming along with the matches. I mean, I think in that moment, I'd be tempted to be like, look, it was all a hoax, guys. Or if you're facing stoning or crucifixion or being torn apart by wild animals, wouldn't at least one of them have given up? None of them did. This This is the evidence. This is the word of truth. This is what John is trying to show us. That the tomb actually was empty. That Jesus actually was cold and stiff and dead. And then actually what happened was that breath filled his lungs again. And his heart began to beat again. And the synapses in his brain began firing again. And his fingers began to twitch again. And he walked out of the tomb. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. I don't know how the grave clothes were still lying there, but they were. The angel rolled the stone away. And John is trying to show us, look, this really happened. And and that's the claim. The claim is this really happened. So what are we going to do with this claim? And I think it helps. It helps us if we think about how these first witnesses believed. Because all they did was simply weigh up the evidence, right? This is a word of truth, and we have to decide if we're going to believe it or not, and we have to weigh up the evidence. And, and actually, the people who, the problem is that most people decide that they don't believe it before they even examine the evidence. Almost everyone who has um, tried to disprove the resurrection has 
gone on to believe it. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) And I'm inviting you today, just like John is in his gospel inviting you today, to see the evidence and make your decision so that you might believe. Have you ever heard of Occam's Razor? A little bit of philosophy for you on a Sunday morning. Um, Occam's Razor is a theory in philosophy that says the explanation that requires the fewest assumptions is the correct one, right? That's pretty common sense, I think. And the more assumptions you have to make, the less likely it is that the theory is true. So when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus, what is it easier to believe? That it happened or it didn't happen? Which one has the less assumptions? And you might object and say, well, it was easier for them because they were able to actually see Jesus. They could walk down to the tomb and see it empty. And and we don't get to do that. We don't have those opportunities. Yeah, that's true. And, And John understands perfectly well that we don't have the same opportunities. Jesus even tells Thomas later on in this chapter, when Thomas refused to believe it was actually Jesus until he, you know, touched the wounds in his hands and and, and actually saw him and touched him. Jesus says, you've believed because you've seen, but blessed are those who, who have not seen and yet believed. And this is why John's story is so important. He looks into the tomb and he sees the evidence and believes. Isn't this what it says? He doesn't understand He doesn't understand the greater theological significance of it and and all throughout the prophecies and all of what is happening, but he believes. It says, then the other disciple, that's John, who had reached the tomb first, another dig at Peter being old and slow, also went in and he saw and believed. So will you see and believe? That's, That's the question. What will we do with this claim? While John hadn't seen the resurrected Jesus yet, He sees what has been left behind. He sees the effect of divine activity. He sees a stone rolled away. He sees grave clothes lying there, and he decides he believes. This is core to following Jesus. It's not an idea. Jesus isn't a set of ethics. He's not a good luck charm. He's a person. He is God in human form, in human history, and he has left marks that we can both see and measure and then trust. So here's the invitation for us today. See the empty tomb. Hear the testimony of witnesses and believe that Jesus is alive. I believe that Jesus is alive. That's the word of truth. So what comes next? Because if this claim is true, what comes next? What does it it mean for us? Well, this is where we come to our next point. A word of hope. Jesus is present. This is where we go from Jesus rose from the dead to what did he rise for? Now, this account of, I love this story of Jesus meeting Mary in the garden. It's my favorite of all the four gospel accounts of the resurrection. Of course, they're all telling the same story, but they all focus on different aspects and different details. Mary gets up before dawn to come and anoint the body of Jesus. Now, that might not make that might not make much sense for us. But you see, on the, on the Friday, Joseph, whose tomb, who owned the tomb, obviously he's a rich man, we're told, and so it's a nice garden graveyard and a freshly cut tomb. Joseph takes the body from the cross and, and he buries it in his tomb. But, but it's, it's Friday evening and that's the start of the Sabbath. And so he doesn't have time to, to do the full job. And so he, he just 
has to bury Jesus in the tomb and then has to wait because it's forbidden to do those things on the Sabbath. So you can imagine all, all day, all night on Friday night, all day on, on Saturday, Mary is like, I need to go and give him the honor he deserves. I need to give him the proper burial. She has to wait until Sunday, Saturday was over, Sunday morning, the Sabbath's finished, she can come to the tomb. And so literally as soon as she can, now I'll tell you what, it's not safe for her to go outside the city walls when it's still dark. It's not the done thing, but Mary has to honor Jesus who she loves. And so out of devotion for her Lord, she gets up and rushes to the tomb to give him the proper burial. Now think about this for a second. Think about what happens. Mary was done. Mourning. Multiple times it says she's weeping. She's cast down. She's weeping. She's in the depths of despair. She, was, she wasn't coming to expect to meet a risen Lord Jesus. She wasn't coming with a, you know, with a comb and, and a fresh set of socks and a new outfit. She was coming with the spices to anoint a dead body. To say her final goodbyes, she was done. The disciples were done. They weren't even coming to honor the body. They were hiding out in an upper room because they were scared that the, the Jews were going to come and, and kill them too. They were just the, the remnant of a field uprising. They were in fear and dismay. The disciples were done. Mary was done. But Jesus wasn't done. And in the depth of her grief and her confusion, Jesus meets her. Now, I've often, so often wondered, why did Jesus do it this way? Like, why, why did Jesus do the resurrection this way? Because I think if it had been me, and thank goodness it wasn't me, if I think if it had been me, I would have went straight to the temple, and I would have announced myself. Or I would have went straight to the palace of Pontius Pilate and said, look, you sentenced me to death, and look what happened. Or why didn't he have a press conference? Why didn't, I mean, he should have got all the newsletter, news outlets from Israel down and, and all the TV cameras and made a public statement outside the tomb with the tomb behind him and, you know, he's standing there in all his glory and saying, see, look, I told you so. You were all wrong about me. Look at me now. But he doesn't do any of that stuff. Why? What does he do? He waits in the garden where his tomb is. He waits for Mary. And he meets her in her darkest hour. The risen Lord Jesus is present with Mary in the time of her hopelessness. Isn't this incredible? This is a woman who has no hope left. She's not expecting him to be alive. If she were, she wouldn't be bringing the spices to, to anoint him with. Where will her hope come from? Even when she sees angels and an empty tomb, she still can't believe that Jesus might be alive. She's totally without hope. But it's here that Jesus meets her. Isn't this class? And, and, and you know how, and, and notice this, it's only when she turns away from the grave that she sees Jesus, because Jesus isn't in the grave. Church, Jesus is risen to be present with us. He is absent from the tomb, but he is most certainly not absent from us. Jesus rose from the dead so that he could be with us. In Luke's account that we read earlier, why do you seek the living among the dead? Christ isn't dead, so he's not among the dead. He is alive, so he's among the living. There's no hope in a tomb. There is only hope in this person who is alive, the risen Lord Jesus. And listen, this same Jesus 
who appeared to Mary in her grief and confusion and sadness and despair and hopelessness is able to meet you in your grief, in your pain, in your anxiety, in your despair, in your hurt, in your tiredness, in your doubt, in your fear, in your confusion, in your worries, in your lack of faith. The risen Lord Jesus is risen to be present with you. Just as he met Mary in the garden in her hour of need, he comes to meet you this morning. And isn't it interesting that she doesn't recognize him at first? Her grief and her tears and and even this lack of faith have, have blinded him from her sight. But look how she eventually realizes who she's talking to. Let's read this again from verses 14 to 16. Having said this, she turned. Her back is now to the grave. She turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, because obviously Joseph is a rich man and in a nice garden tomb like this would have gardeners. She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni. Through the mist of her tears, through the cloud of despair in her heart, she hears that voice calling her name, Mary. And in that moment, she recognizes the hope that she thought was lost. Through speaking her name, Jesus comes to her in the most personal way. Through simply saying her name, Jesus is communicating that he has won the victory over death, not in some abstract way, but for her. Death is beaten, the grave is conquered, and it's conquered for her. Listen, the risen Lord Jesus isn't some impersonal cosmic force. He's not some overlord dictator. He's not aloof or far off. He is present, and he comes to us out of the grave, and he calls us by name. And he tells us that he has won the victory over our enemy. The victory that he has won, he has won for us. Jesus is calling your name this morning. And he's saying, look, do you see, I am here, I am alive, and I'm here for you, and I'm alive for you, and I have conquered death and hell for you. The risen Lord Jesus is personal, and he is present with us. When Jesus calls Mary's name, she recognizes him, and then she obviously runs and embraces him, because he has to say, tell her to get off, and we'll come back to that later off, uh, later on. But, and she clings to him in a way that says, Don't you ever leave me again. And I wonder what our response to the risen Lord Jesus is. Do we recognize him when he calls our name? Will we cling on to him the way Mary does? Hear Jesus calling your name this morning. Through the the mist of your tears, through your confusion and doubt, through your fear and worries and anxiety, or, or maybe even your anger and resentment, hear Jesus Speak in your name. Hear the risen Lord Jesus speak in your name and run to him and cling to him and recognize him as Lord. Just one more thing on on this before I move on to my final point. Did you notice that that Mary is asked the same question twice? So so the, the angels in the tomb say, woman, why are you weeping? And then, Jesus asks her the same question, why are you weeping? Now, 
I don't think this is like me whenever Haley has to ask me the same question like four times so I'm not listening. <laughs> I don't think it's that. Like I'm just like absent or something. Not very quick in the uptake. I think in this question, this question is stating something both profound and completely wonderful. See, Mary weeps at the empty tomb because she doesn't yet realize what the empty tomb means. Right? And we can look at the empty tomb and draw all the wrong conclusions. And if we do that, we'll just be left weeping forever. Mary is weeping because she's already grieving and then she has this horrible thought that somebody has done something depraved and terrible and taken away the body of Jesus. But you see, Jesus asked her this question because the empty tomb means that there is no more need for weeping. The angel says, why are you weeping? And it's like the angel saying, look, sorrow is not the right response for what's going on here. The empty tomb is a source of, of hope and joy. And Jesus says, why are you weeping? Your sorrows are over. Look, I'm here. Your hope is found. I am alive. Listen, the empty tomb, the risen Lord Jesus, means an end to all our fears and anxieties and sorrow. Mary weeps at the empty tomb, but it's because the tomb is empty that we no longer have to weep. Death itself has been defeated. Jesus, by his resurrection, has guaranteed a new future for us, right? His resurrection is just the beginning. It's the beginning of the end of death. It's, 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 it's the decisive punch in the eighth round when, when, when his knees buckle and you know he hasn't got long left. It's the, it's the turning point in the battle. The victory has been won. Uh, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, one of the most astonishing chapters in the whole Bible. He says this. He says, For as in Adam all die. That's us. We are all uh, descendants of Adam. We're all in flesh and blood, and we're all doomed to die. So also in Christ, so if you believe in him, you're in him, shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Here's what's going on here. This means that Jesus is just the beginning, right? He's the first fruits. He, he's, the, he's the first one to be raised to life in this way. And then everyone who is in him, those who believe in him, everyone who belongs to him will share in this defeat over death. This is the future for all of us who believe in him, right? No more death, right? Our bodies may die, but just like Jesus, we will one day be resurrected to everlasting life. Here's another fact for you. One day, the grave of every Christian will be as empty as Jesus' grave. He's the first one to go. He paves the way for us. This is what John has told us as an offer through the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 31 again. Why has he written these things down? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And what happens when you believe that? And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Not death, but life. In our flesh, in Adam, we have death. In the risen Lord Jesus, we have life, like his. So why are you weeping? <laughs> there is life in his name when we believe in him. Why the weeping? Jesus is alive and death is, is done. Okay, yeah, we can spend another few minutes on this. This is good. Um, <laughs> you cut that out of the recording, Ethan. Um, I love that Mary comes, I love that Jesus comes to Mary on this first Easter Sunday, and what does he do? He addresses her tears. 
Isn't that cool? He addresses her sadness and sorrow. And this is, like in, this is the first kind of taste of heaven. This is a tiny prophecy, a tiny parable, a tiny foreshadowing of what is to come at the end of all things. Revelation 21. I think we have it, don't we? Did I include that? Yes. He says, it says, He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Notice that He is the one who will wipe away every tear. Like what he did with Mary when he was fresh out of the tomb, that was just the beginning. Mary's tears are the first ones to be wiped away by by the risen Lord Jesus, but one day he's going to wipe away everyone's tears. Why? Because the risen Lord Jesus is present with his people. That's why he was raised from the dead. So hear him calling your name this morning. Turn away from death like Mary did and see him and run to him and cling to him and then receive the life that he offers by believing in him. The word of truth is that Jesus is really risen from the dead. The word of hope is that the risen Lord Jesus is is risen to be present with us and he brings us new life. Now let me finish with this word of instruction. Jesus is sending. Uh, it's, It's really hard to put ourselves in Mary's shoes here, isn't it? Like, Consider all she's been through <laughs> that morning. <laughs> I'm prone to an emotional roller coaster, but I mean, this is off the charts. She's, she's been in, in the depths of despair. She's come grieving to say her final goodbyes. She's seen the empty tomb. She's ran back to the disciples. They've come. They've went away. They're all happy. Why are they happy? Like, where have they taken Jesus' body? And then she meets Jesus, and her sadness and sorrow and despair goes to joy and hope. But Jesus isn't finished with her yet. Mary runs to him and clings on to him, but Jesus' response isn't to just sit down with her in the garden and wait for everyone else to turn up and then all enjoy a reunion. Now that would have been amazing, wouldn't it? But Jesus tells her, look, don't rest in this moment. There is work to do. Look at verse 17. Jesus says to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers, that's the disciples, and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now notice, first of all, the language has changed. He says, go to my brothers. They're now family. He says, I am ascending to my Father and your Father. What happened on that cross and through his resurrection means that, that Mary and Jesus both have the same Father now. My God and your God, they both have the same God now. You see how that works? You see what he's done? And he says, so don't cling to me. Now, he's not saying, get off me. He's not saying, stay away from me. Jesus is not repulsed by Mary's embrace. But what he is saying to her is that because he is risen, there is now a message to preach. See, the time for resting forever with Jesus and enjoying him will come, but but not yet, guys. He gives Mary a job to do. He says, go and tell. Go and tell. Earlier that morning, Mary already had gone and told, hadn't she? She had gone to the disciples and said, the the stone is rolled away, the tomb is empty. But now Jesus gives her the real task. Go and tell them. 
that I'm alive. Go and tell them that I'm ascending to the Father. Go and tell them, in other words, it's time to get this show on the road. (laughs) The last three years of training, boys, now it's time to go. I'm ascending to the Father. Everything that I've been saying is going to happen. That's all beginning now, lads, so you better be ready. Come on. The resurrection of Jesus means that all the things that he'd been preaching and teaching and showing through his life and his miracles were about to come into their full meaning. And he says, go and tell. Now isn't the time for simply resting with him. It's about going and telling others. Church, this is the message that the risen Lord Jesus meets us with this morning. See, Jesus meets us personally in our deepest need. Hi, Meg. Um, little Easter egg fell off the thing. He meets us with this message this morning. He meets us personally, yeah. He meets us in our deepest need, yes. He, he takes away our sin. He, he gives us victory over death. But then he says, look, go and tell others about this. Don't keep it yourself. Tell everybody. I want to put this as plainly to you this morning as I possibly can. Jesus is risen from the dead. And he meets us personally and then we get the privilege of going and telling this to other people. That's the Christian life. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And, and why wouldn't you want to do this? Like, think about it. If somehow you got given the miracle cure for cancer, I don't know how it happened, but now you have the ability to eradicate cancer, you wouldn't keep it to yourself. You would tell everybody who would listen, wouldn't you? Well, we have the answer to death itself. We have the risen Lord Jesus, and he's telling us, hey, listen, go and tell anybody who will hear you. The world is is full of pain and suffering and grief and injustice and war and conflict and hunger, and we have the solution. Jesus comes out of the grave fully alive, and he gives us the immense privilege of telling everybody about it. And maybe you're thinking, I don't know what to say. What would I say? Well, Mary gives us a pretty good place to start. Look at this from verse 18. Mary Magdalene, just in case we're in any doubt who she is, went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. It's pretty simple, isn't it? All she does is say, I've seen the Lord. See, we're not called to come up with the answers to all the hardest theological questions or uh, argue philosophy and ethics. We're just simply called to be witnesses. We're simply called to tell people we've met Jesus. Jesus doesn't just give us a message. He is the message, right? We're not, we're not taking uh, just a message. We're taking a person. Uh, if you don't know what to say, well, how about just saying what Mary said? I've seen Jesus. I've met the risen Lord Jesus. He's alive and now he's here with me. And let me tell you what that has done for me. That's it. Listen, if Jesus really is risen from the dead, then that's a message that deserves to be told, isn't it? Like if we really believe that Jesus is alive, then surely we would want to tell that to others, wouldn't we? Our job is not to share a belief system or a religion or a doctrine. Our job is to simply introduce a person. After these events in the garden, and you can read this later on in the rest of John chapter 20, Jesus comes to the disciples and, and he gives them the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, what that means is that that's, that's Jesus' way of being present with all of us 
everywhere all the time, right? He is risen to be present with us, and He is present with us always, all the time, everywhere, because when we believe in Him, His Spirit lives in us. Romans 8 verses 10 and 11 says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Did you hear that, right? The same power, the same Spirit, not power, the same Spirit, the same person that raised Jesus from the actual dead now lives in you, in all of us who believe. And this means that when we do go and tell I've met the Lord. We're, we're, we're never going alone. He's always with us. And he empowers us with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The same spirit. And so as we have met the risen Lord Jesus this morning, let's not keep it to ourselves, right? Let's go and, let's go and tell all and any who will listen. A word of truth, the tomb is empty because Jesus really did rise from the dead, right? A word of hope, the risen Lord Jesus is risen to be present with us and he guarantees our future. And a word of instruction, let's go and tell. Let's go and tell the world that we have seen the Lord. Amen? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you're alive. We praise you that that tomb is empty. And that just as you turned your back in that tomb, we no longer need to stand and look at a grave. We look to you, Lord. Father, we praise you that you're alive. Lord, help us to really believe that that actually happened. Lord, we believe that you're alive. Help our unbelief. Lord Jesus, thank you that you, don't just, you didn't zoom straight up to heaven, but you have risen to be present with us, that you have given us your spirit, that, that we are no longer alone that we will never be alone. Father, I pray that for all of us who are struggling with uh, doubt, with unbelief, with anxiety, with fear, with whatever it may be, worries of all kinds, weighed down by all kinds of things, Lord. Father, would you meet them this morning? Would you meet us this morning? Lord Jesus, help us to hear you call on our name and respond in faith, to run to you and embrace you. Holy Spirit, the same power, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, you now work your power in us and through us to share this good news. Give us joy as we do this. Help us simply say, I have seen the Lord. Wouldn't that be an incredible, simple message to tell others? I have seen the Lord. Father, help us now as we come to the Lord's table to not just think about your death, but they're godly and right. Lord, give us a right reading of your scripture. Uh, lead us by the power of your spirit. Lord, we see uh, through the, the, the work of, of godly and biblical leadership structures, we see uh, miraculous things happen. Where we see people coming to know you. We